You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a fascinating peek into the brains and lives of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their session on the podcast, and I have so much respect for them. Let's jump right into this on-air coaching call, and I will see you on the other side. Where are you living right now? I'm Spanish, but I'm currently living in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. Oh, wow. And you lived in Germany before. Yes, I did. Like, I have a semi-nomad style, lifestyle. So I kind of live here and there for about a year, um, sometimes less, sometimes more. But I keep changing countries every now and then. And do you do anything else besides teach yoga? Before the pandemic, uh, what I would do was to find maybe a couple of studios where I could teach part time and then find something else. Um, But since the pandemic, I just um, transitioned to full time yoga. (laughs) I haven't even tried to find something else because it's so hard that I'm just focusing on growing my business at this moment. Sure. And right now, though, you're teaching at a studio. Mm hmm. And tell me a little bit about the studio, because you were saying that there's some limitations with what you can do through the studio and how you can connect with the students there. So tell me a little bit about that situation. Yeah, so the studio I'm working for is still back in Germany. It's one of the students I I worked for in person. And when the pandemic hit, I was actually, I just had left Germany for like three days, (laughs) like three days earlier. I just went back to Spain for a couple of weeks and we, I just got stuck there. So the studio asked me to stay with them um, and just teach online. And the way that they work and like, actually most Berlin, people in Berlin, like studios in Berlin work and some other parts in Germany is through a platform, which is called Urban Sports Club. And it's a platform where you, as a student, can sign in for, I don't know, like you have different tiers, but you have access to hundreds of activities and studios like yoga, Pilates, uh, pole dance, a lot of things. So for me, the struggle here is that it's really hard to create a community or to kind of like... um, have consistency in my classes because sometimes I have the same students, but sometimes like there's always new people coming in, they're dropping out. Um, So it's really, really hard. And also I don't want to offend anyone, but German people are colder than Spanish people. So it's also very, very hard to sometimes connect or to, you know, know if they are really like liking the content of the classes, if they are not happy, if they just want to work out. <laughs> so it's really hard in that sense. So are you teaching in German or in English? In English. My German is not so good. 
Okay. So there's a little bit of a language barrier too, right? Because you're teaching in your second language and the students are primarily taking the class in their second language. Yeah. Yeah. Usually like they, I guess, well, in my experience, they are kind of like bilingual, like they speak English perfectly. They don't have that issue. So yeah, I've heard that sometimes they prefer to have classes in German. Of course, it's easier for them, but usually that's not the, the, the what prevents them from coming to my classes, actually. Like, it's just that they are fluctuating. They have too many options. Yeah, no, I wasn't thinking of that so much as just there's the cultural difference and then there's a language. Even, even if you speak your second language perfectly, it isn't the same as your native tongue especially on an emotional level. So I just, I just think that's an interesting dynamic. And then with that urban sports club, yeah, it's one of those platforms that really discourages consistency and commitment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's one of those top-down situations where the customer thinks they benefit, but they don't because they're not getting the benefit of consistency. And the teacher definitely doesn't benefit. Even the studios don't really benefit in the long term because the, the students aren't even loyal to them. Mm. I think it's important over the long run to build something on your own. You can't rely on growth inside of this business model. And you, I'm sure you already know that. And that's why we're here talking. <laughs> the good thing of having it is that you have some stability and some consistency and the chance to get a lot of experience working with lots of different types of people. So that's a positive. I want to encourage yoga teachers to participate in them mindfully and to be aware of the benefits and the limitations and not to tie themselves permanently or even in their minds to this business model, because it's the type of business model that really leads to burnout ultimately. Yeah. What I'm hearing from your intake form and, and what we just chatted about is that you're struggling to build something on your own though. Yes. Yes. I'm trying. Like I at least have the freedom to promote my classes through the studio, but to people outside of the platform. So I just promote them on Instagram, on my newsletter. And I have a couple of people coming in every month or so, but I'm struggling to really get people outside of the, of the platform um, into my classes. So that's what I'm trying to do. I, I love teaching at the studio, but I want to be able to detach from them eventually. Yeah. So you also said that you tried promoting a special offering through Instagram with no luck. And I would love to ask you a few questions about that experience. One is what was the special offering? The offering I actually want to develop. It's very special. It's one-to-one. is tailored to the person's needs and whatever they want to work on. So I tried sharing that or in sharing like this is what I do, this is what I can offer you. But I think that I don't know how to clearly get my message across, how to kind of like really make people feel attracted to it, if that yeah, makes sense. of course. And we all struggle with that, Candela. I imagine you're using Instagram in English also and trying to promote this in English. So you have another layer of challenge there. So 
Let's talk through this a little bit more. You had one person interested. Mm -hmm. That's a great start. That's a perfect place to start. Because one of the things that's really difficult is to talk about an offering that we've never taught. (laughs) Right? It's just an idea in our head. And we know on some level that it's going to change and adapt based on the individual person. That's why a lot of times when I work with yoga teachers who have a lot of experience, they have an easier time starting to translate what they offer into language that's compelling because they've done it so many times. And so they, for them, the results are a little bit more predictable, but something you've never done makes sense that it would be challenging to talk about it. So this person that was interested, did they sign up? Yes, they did. Like I had a few people interested and only one uh, actually signed up for it. Um, Well, I would not consider that a failure. No, I actually felt really happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a one-to-one offering and you had one person take you up on it. So Mm. I think that's fantastic. One, a couple things that I love to see you do. One is to reach out to the people who didn't sign up and find out why, because that could give you some insight into the way that you're talking about it. Yeah. Like what they told me, it was, uh, it, it was basically a money barrier. Like they couldn't afford it. Uh, but at the same time, I was already offering a kind of like low price because I hadn't had that much experience uh, at that time. So it was like, okay, I can offer you this at this price, which is, I think, which I think is fair for you and for me. And it was already a barrier for them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that will happen. And as you know, from flight school, sometimes a financial barrier is actually a financial barrier. And sometimes it is, you didn't communicate the value to me. Mm. And so that's okay. Both of those things are fine. It's nice to know which it is, but we can't always know that. Yeah, the financial objection is what it's called is very frustrating, especially when we ourselves believe so strongly in what we're offering Mm. and we know what a great deal they're getting. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, we as yoga practitioners wanna practice Vairagya and be willing to meet the moment as it is without assuming it should be different. So you told me at a different time that this is something that has to be done one-to-one. It cannot be in groups because if that was not the case, I would suggest doing a small group for people who have that financial barrier. If you can create a energy exchange that does feel fair to you where you have three or five or seven people in the group, then that might be a good way of getting the first people through. Because the more people who take your program, the more people will be able to describe to you what it was like for them. And then you can use their words to better describe to the next group what it will be like. Yeah, makes sense. Like, I could do a group alternative to it, but then I would have to choose a certain topic because that would be for a group, right? So my what I want to offer is the one-on-one um, setting because I really want the person to be able to 
say I'm here and I want to be there. How can you help me? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to maybe offering it to a small group, as you said, if that's an easier entryway to then offering it one on one. But then I would have to figure out what we what topic or what need or urge or theme is the is the most relevant to to the people at this moment so I can attract them. Yeah, I mean, you can even survey the people who are interested in your one on one and get ideas from there. So mm. you can think of this, the gr small group program is like the stepping stone and it's a chance for them to get a, a taste of what it's like to do this deeper work with you. And then some of those people will be ready for the one-to-ones later. It's like you're preparing them to be ready. You're preparing them to see the value. And this is actually a really great way to differentiate between if it's truly a financial barrier or if it's a lack of understanding barrier. And if you decide to structure your business this way, then you would only promote the group programs. And the one-to-ones would be available for graduates. Or you can make exceptions if you know somebody reaches out to you about the group program and they say, here's my situation, money's no object, you can say, well, actually, I have a different possibility for you. But to keep things simple as far as developing the language and not trying to feel like you're promoting a million different things, you would only promote the small group program. All right. Makes sense. And that's probably actually easier to promote because it has a specific outcome that you have already predetermined. One reason you may be having trouble with promoting the one-to-ones is if there isn't a predetermined outcome, if you are saying, I'm just gonna meet you where you are and we're gonna custom build this program for you, then they can't visualize what that's gonna look like. And so that is gonna make them very nervous to invest money in something they can't visualize. So with the group program, if you can lay it out more clearly for them and you're asking for less money at the same time, that's going to be a much easier yes. And then you can use that time. You can specifically structure the group program to prepare them to be ready to understand the value of the one-to-ones. All right. Yeah. If you put it that way, it looks like easier. <laughs> I think it yes. will be easier. Yeah. And there's also something really special that happens in a group program where we can sometimes set aside our own enmeshment in our own story when we see other people practicing, doing the same practices and struggling with the same things. It gives us a different perspective and we also have the opportunity to learn by teaching each other. Mm -hmm. So it really can take somebody from a place of not being ready for one-on-ones to a level of growth that they might have needed before even like they might actually get more value from working with you one-on-one -on -one after they have the foundation in the group if you structure the content in the group in a conscious way to make that happen yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense actually because some of the techniques i like i have available to teach require 
some kind of experience or some kind of commitment like it requires a lot of commitment from their part so maybe as you say having a group like maybe going into the group first and being able to see the surface of what they can do maybe that's prepares them to go into a deeper work uh one-on-one so yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well, wow. I feel like we really made a lot of progress really quickly. <laughs> <Yes>. Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything that we're missing that you haven't talked about yet or any follow-up questions about what we have discussed? I'm thinking how can I kind of reach more people outside than the ones that were interested into it? The thing is that most of my followers on Instagram are either from like a lot of years ago and probably they just don't use Instagram anymore. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just don't, uh, like people don't really engage with the content I share. I can see that most of the people who really follow my content now are the ones part of the Urban Sports Club platform. So, and they're so absorbed by it that, and I've done market research with them. And that's something I wanted to ask you, actually. Like, um, they say they're too happy with the platform, that they don't want to do nothing else outside of it. So I'm trying, I guess I'm struggling on how to reach more people outside of it that then can be attracted to this group offering or wherever. But there's basically, let's say there's four ways. I'm going to cover three of them in the workshop. I'm not going to cover the first one, but the first one is basically to take your personal network and expand from there. That works for some people. It works really well for some people, actually. But most of the time when people are reaching out to me saying, I need to find new people, it means it's not working. Mm -hmm. So the second way is through strategic partnerships. The next way is through organic search. And the third way is through paid ads. No matter which strategy you choose, you need to know who you're looking for. So you need to have some clarity around how to filter through everyone down <laughs> to the people who are most ready to work with you. who are going to get the most value from working with you. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And that's why niching is its own big topic. It is ongoing. So one of the things we all want is for a problem to be solved like that. <laughs> and it's that's rarely the case. Like even for me, even though in 20, 2016, I chose yoga teachers as my niche, I have come a long way since then. I did not know what I was going to teach yoga teachers in 2016. I thought it was going to be how to theme their classes, which I probably will circle back around to at some point. But what happened is that I did my market research and everybody was like, I'm struggling with business. I'm struggling with business. I'm struggling with business. And I was like, well, I get it. I struggled with business for a long time too. So, okay, I'm going to meet you where you are. It's difficult, it's confusing, and so it's easy to avoid doing that hard work of figuring out who you're looking for. But if you don't do it, you will never grow a following. You just won't. It's, it's not possible to stand out on the internet without knowing who you're looking for and then tailoring your messaging to those people. 
And when I say those people, the big, one of the big misunderstandings is that it's referring to demographics. So it's like women ages 30 to 45. And it can be an aspect of niche, but that's certainly not enough. That's extremely broad. And it doesn't have to be. You don't have to know the demographics. If you really understand a deep desire or a pain point or a top of mind challenge, then the demographics become much less important. So that's the foundation. And so do you have a niche or like, where are you at with that? Yeah, so actually, after doing my market research, um, I realized that most of the people who want to work with me are millennials, which it's just like, that's what I figured out. Um, but that's doesn't really like exclude anyone else because what I'm trying to to offer or what the people I'm trying to reach out are people who are looking to kind of like meet themselves like really meet themselves, know who, who truly they are, what their, their needs to create a life that is more in line with that, that is in alignment to their values, to their needs, to their orders. So instead of like being, um, trying to live a life that is more in accordance to external validation or whatever society is telling them to do, mm-hmm. to have the internal validation themselves after doing some exploration and then moving from there. So that's what I'm trying to to reach. Basically, it's a lot of words. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you'll get you can you'll you'll make that more succinct over time. There's no there's no problem. I thought it was very clear, and I agree with you that it doesn't. You don't have to limit it to millennials. But knowing that that is one layer of it, that's why you're on Instagram instead of being on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever yeah. else. So, do you use hashtags? I do, but that's that's something I wanted to ask you when you mentioned the organic search. Like, what, where can I look for um, how to do that organic research? And just not like just googling, like what are the best best hashtags, for example? Because I use them, but I don't know how to use them effectively. I just like write whatever comes to my mind at, the, at that moment. <laughs> yeah. So. The key with hashtags is that you want to be using the ones that the people who you want to reach are using. So the best way to figure out is I would reach out to that person who signed up with you for a one-on-one. What hashtags do they use? Um, The people who were interested but didn't sign up, what hashtags do they use? You know, in addition to that, I always think that it is a worthwhile investment if you are clear on which platform you're going to use that you invest in a course specific to that platform. And I don't have any that I specifically recommend. So that would be, you know, your own research that you need to do on that. Um, But not like a $50 course, but like a big course that somebody put a lot of time and effort into. But short answer talk to the people who have been interested, who fit the profile and find out what hashtags they use. All right. All right. Yeah, I will. And then as you know, there's several layers to transitioning somebody from being, never having heard of you to paying you to work with you. There's the first layer is just, oh, who's this person? They look interesting. 
then the next layer is, wow, what they're saying is really resonating for me. I want to learn more. And then the next layer is what you're offering is exactly what I need. Here's my credit card. But we, we do have to have that first step. Otherwise, we don't have the chance to have the second and third steps. Another thing that I would consider is, I don't know if you can, can you remove followers from Instagram? Like if you have unengaged followers, it wouldn't be a bad idea to kind of do a refresh and remove them and then really focus on the people who are following you. Tag people, DM people when they start following you. I'm sure you already respond to every comment and every engagement. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, maybe my posts are too long or too worthy or I don't know, like I usually focus more on sharing on the writing part. I like, I don't really care about the pictures or anything. So I'm wondering if maybe I have to invest more time or more energy or whatever in taking greater pictures and sharing less valuable content or I don't know because I really put a lot of effort there. Well you did choose Instagram as your platform and Instagram is a visual platform so I would say it's not required. I have seen people be very successful on Instagram with not very attractive feeds but I'm looking here at this picture that you sent me to use with this episode. And that look, I think, would be extremely successful on Instagram because like you look like a millennial, you look young and energetic and you have this bright blue ocean and sky in the background. And then your, and your clothing is very casual. I mean, I think it, it really has kind of a look to it. And so I would say go with that if you have the ability to kind of recreate that and do some photo shoots that are similar to that. It's definitely worth hiring a photographer unless unless you're a photographer. You know, a lot of people who are really successful on Instagram are photographers, right? Like <laughs> yes. they happen to be photographers and whatever else. Yeah, like I, I actually don't spend that much time on Instagram myself. I I don't even like like other people pictures or anything because I, I'm just not very um, I don't like to be on my phone that long that much so I kind of like try to post something once a week and maybe if someone um, comments which is very rarely I just answer I post stories almost every day I try just to keep people uh, noticing me but yeah the less I have to spend on Instagram the better for me I just yeah well, then it's probably, it might not be the right platform for you after all, because Instagram is not a one-way platform. It really rewards you engaging with your followers in addition to them engaging with you. It's not a platform that is designed for you to like create content and just put it out there and then have it be received. You do a lot better on Instagram if you reach out to people, basically. And so you may consider switching to YouTube because millennials use YouTube a lot. And that is more of a, a platform where you just create your content, you put it out there and people receive it. Yeah, um, I have two things. Like one, one is a question. Would you recommend to maybe then if one of my students or someone that has been to my classes follows me to follow them back and just like engage with them whenever they post a picture, even when... It may not be of my interest. 
Well, I think that you're going to have to find your own peace of mind with that. What I do is when people follow me, I do follow them back if they seem like a good fit and I DM them and I engage them in a conversation in my DMs. I don't do a lot of like commenting on their posts that aren't interesting to me. I try, but I try to engage them in a conversation via DM because that is the kind of thing that will bump you up in their algorithm. If they have DM'd you or you have DM'd them, then you'll see their posts and they'll see your posts. All right. All right. And can I ask you, how do you engage with them? Like, do you start with some questions or do you just say like, hey, how are you? Or I have a little script that I that I copy and paste. And it's basically a thank you for following me. How did you hear about me? And do you have any questions? All right. All right. Yes. And what do you say about YouTube? I think I don't know. I don't spend that much time on YouTube either. Like I'm, I think I'm not <laughs> the best fit for online teaching or anything because I prefer to be offline. Um, but in on YouTube, I guess that I would have to be uploading videos, like classes, actual classes, rather than sharing content or me talking about. I don't know. Like I really liked. I love uh, when I created my newsletter. I thought it was be, it would it was going to be a little bit of a burden. But I love it because I get to share so many things there that are of interest to me um, that I'm not sure if that maybe would work on YouTube, like me just talking about that topic. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, if you are somebody who doesn't love being online, then the visibility strategy, the discovery strategy that I would recommend is strategic partnerships. I would not try to create a content-based visibility strategy. And you can keep your newsletter for nurturing, for, for developing relationships with your potential clients, but it's much faster and requires a lot less investment in a online platform to connect with people who are looking for a similar audience who do something different from you and partner with them. All right. All right. I, I, I may consider it then. But yeah, it may be that Instagram is not the right, not the right platform. Yeah. Good. All right. <laughs> yeah. I have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we covered a lot today. Do you have any last questions? I don't think so. Like, I think I can try to start implementing what we um, talked about today. And then maybe in the future, I can ask you for a, a conversation <laughs> so, to see uh, how this uh, worked or didn't work and then how to go further or what to change or whatever. So yeah, that would be fun. Maybe we can do like a part two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, this conversation was really brought me some clarity and some things to work on already. So I'm going to, to try to implement them and then see how it goes. Awesome. I'm so glad. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these on-air coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are 
And they would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And thank you also to each of you who listen all the way to the end. I'm so grateful to get to support you through the podcast, workshops, online courses, and the Impact Club membership. To find out more about working with me, head over to teachingyoga.net slash learn. Until next week, remember to make your personal practice a priority so that you keep your own cup full and can show up for your students without burning out. Thank you so very much for listening, and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.